want to be right by Keith. I, I kind of do, and yet I'm going to move. Okay. <laughs> I want to be near Charlotte. There you are. Okay. So uh, we moved. I'm from Horsham originally, down in Sussex. Uh, we met in Horsham. Charlotte was working down there for BA as a stewardess. Had moved from Manchester, uh, and uh, God called us when we got married. North And when the bow is pulled back to Manchester, you'll be fired out to France, was the way we heard the prophetic word of Terry Virgo. Uh, and Charlotte said, but I left Manchester. I was happy down here in the south. And, uh, and yet we got called to Manchester. In Manchester, we helped start you guys. Because every single week, Colin Barron and I would pray... God, give us people to move to Chester, Liverpool, and Leeds. We were planting churches into Bolton and Oldham and then Warrington, which sadly collapsed, and uh, then Stockport. As we, we actually planted Stockport, we then moved to Liverpool as, uh, pretty much at the same time. So started a church, left about 50 people, and moved to Liverpool. We've been there 14 years And church planting is wonderful, it's hard, you've got to find God in it, and, uh, but it's a joy to be able to say we've been doing it together uh, as a team with our children, because you basically, when you church plant, your children have to almost find new groups of people, and uh, little by little, God's given us youth groups around our kids' ages, and uh, it's really a wonderful thing to do, but it's hard work. Uh, so I commend you, but I feel like it's an answer to our prayers. I, I remember um, various times uh, when we felt called to Liverpool, Charlotte said, I'll go to Chester. <laughs> she, we, we've always liked Chester. What a great city it is. Uh, and we love Liverpool. We love Liverpool. She's not coming here. Back off. So... Uh, it, we just love Liverpool now. It's just been a great city. When God called us to Liverpool, that was about 1999, I said to Charlotte, I think God's calling us to Liverpool. She said, I don't want my kids growing up as scally scousers. Sorry if you're from Liverpool. but That was her Mancunian reaction. And yet both our kids are got an accent a little bit like ours. Sorry, I'm yours. And also, uh, they can go quite scouse if they're with their friends. But it's been a great city for us, the most friendly place on the earth as far as I can tell, although maybe Chester's even better. But uh, we prayed, really, genuinely prayed for people to move. I used to actually pray that God would move Colin uh, so that I could lead the, the, the Manchester thing on my own for a while. But uh, it's funny, you pray for God to move your colleague and, he, and you end up moving. So uh, I wasn't saying, here am I, send me. I was saying, here am I, send him. So... <laughs> Anyway, what a great thing it is. It's lovely coming in here, brilliant banners, banners outside. You've done it so well. It's easy to find. Uh, those are all very important. may not seem like a big deal. Very important to have a website and things like that, to have the words actually working, uh, friendliness when people come in. You may think, oh, it's nothing. It's everything. And when you're a church planting team, you're all involved. So every visitor is everyone's visitor. And it, I don't mean you will jump on them, but actually 
try to find who's the best person to talk to this person, who's going to help them to enjoy being here the most. Um, We had some words about uh, the God who doesn't change, and I want to look at what I call, or what my theologian friends called, the ordo salutis, because if you know, the, I'm sure you know the ordo salutis, but if you know the order of salvation is what it is in English, it's unbelievably securing for you as a Christian. I then want to look quickly at what I consider Paul's uh, quick three points for enjoying God. And then I want to show you why you might not enjoy God and how to ask God for wisdom. So that's where we're going. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, it'll be Romans chapter 8. And we'll, you'll know the verse, Romans eight twenty-eight. But that, uh, we're going to look at the verse right after that. But I'll include uh, 8.28. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Ordo salutis, Latin, order of salvation. It doesn't sound like anything, but if you can grasp these little verses, it will help you to understand how all things work together for good. So first of all, in the past, eternity past, the unchanging God says he knew a group of people. They were written in a book, the Lamb's Book of Life. He knew us. He knew those who were going to be his. And it says he then, with that same group of people, predestines them which is an interesting word. It means he set the destiny of the ones he knew. The word know is very much uh, an intimate word. Adam knew Eve. It meant intimately. It doesn't mean God had sex with us, so uh, don't be perverse, but it does mean that God intimately knew us, knew our names, knew who we'd be, even knits us together in our mother's womb later on. He knows a group of people. He predestines a group of people and says, actually, he's already set. I don't mean you're little robots, but he has set good works for you to do. He's given each one of you different gifts, and each one of you are predestined to do different things. But when we all work together in a local church, it's a body that thrives. It's a body that pulsates. It's a body that can really accomplish a great deal. And a church planting, pulsating local church actually cannot be held back by the gates of hell. The gates of hell will attack and try to intimidate. uh, And lots of things you'll find, well, why is that going wrong for us right now? Why is that happening to us right now? There will be all kinds of uh, opposition The kingdom advances, but there's always opposition, but the kingdom still advances. The gates of hell will not prevail. God will build his church. But those he predestined, and he's he's predestined you to do some things for him. 
he also called. So there comes now into the present, no, no longer eternity past, God said, or Jesus said to Lazarus, when Lazarus had been dead for four days, Jesus says, roll away the, the stone. Oh, but it'll smell, Lord, he's been dead four days. Roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. That is an illustration of the call. See, when the God of eternity spoke and said, Graham, come forth. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was living for myself. But suddenly there was a moment, I could tell you all about it, it's a long story, but I could tell you the moment I knew I was called by God. I knew I was born again. I was on a tennis court in Ocala, Florida, and all I had was this little thought in my head. I thought it was just my thoughts. You are not swearing. I'm not swearing. I knew something had happened. I knew God had changed everything. I'd been saying, God, if you're there, take away my swearing. God, if you're there, help me to give my life to you. I'd been going along to the Christian Union in the university there. Everything changed. The call of God, Graham, come follow me. I was changed. The call of God's equivalent of being born again, by the way. So uh, the call is used in different ways in the New Testament. So you'll hear the church calls. We're to call many, but few are chosen. So it uses the, the word that way. The church, we're to go out and invite everyone. Get out on Wednesday. That would be great. Go and invite everyone. But here's the good news. Some will eternally be part of what God is doing and you will come across their path. Now you think, well, I don't want to waste my time. I only want to go to the ones who are going to be called by God. We have no idea. Who would have known that the Apostle Paul was going to be one of the ones called by God? He never looked like he was going to be when he was killing Stephen or giving approval to Stephen's death. It never looked like Paul was going to be one of the ones to change Christianity and advance the kingdom. You have no idea who God's going to call. So we have to call everyone. That's the church's role. But the call of God comes as we call. So we'll be calling people and then go, wow, I didn't expect him to actually come. And he seems to love it. And he's on the course now and he's asking questions. Isn't it fantastic? He's given his life to the Lord. We were in the Wirral yesterday uh, doing a jubilation, a sort of praise party. And we have two guests there from Alpha uh, at our student weekend away. And one of the lads who's come, I, I said, Dale, how have you been finding the weekend? He said, I'm nearly there. I'm nine tenths of the way along. He's been doing an Alpha course. And uh, Johnny was saying this morning, it seemed to, that he's made a response. You think, oh, praise God. We call. But actually, we've got to say, God, you call. And when God calls, people come alive. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. They come alive. Then it says those he called, also in the present tense, he also justified. It means, usually we talk about justification by faith in Romans. But here Paul doesn't want to confuse us by putting in us. Notice this is God's unbreakable chain. We're not in it. 
There's no weak link. If we were in it, if it said, and those he called, he also justified those who had faith. You suddenly think, well, oh, man's in there somewhere. Actually, each of these is God's unbreakable links. There's five links in this chain. He justifies this people he calls. The calling comes first. The justification comes next. And he immediately applies to the account of a bankrupt sinner the amazing, eternal righteousness of Jesus. Now we're suddenly rich, loved by God, accepted by God, just as if we'd never sinned. And yet we know we're sinners, but we've been washed clean and given robes of righteousness that even when we fall down, don't get dirty. Without spot or stain or any wrinkle, these clothes are Jesus' clothes that we're wearing. And we stand right before God, hidden in Christ. We don't deserve any of it, but it's good news. This is ours. Fourth link in the unbreakable chain of God's salvation. Then the fifth one goes into eternity future. Those he justified, he also glorified, which is very unusual. A past tense, the aorist case in the Greek. Which means it's, it, it's done, it's accomplished. You think, yeah, but glorification we're waiting for. Listen, what's God saying through Paul? He's saying this group he knew, he also predestined, he also called, he also justified, he also glorified. There is no break. If he calls you, you're going to be glorified. It's a certainty. You don't need to think, am I going to make it? Am I going to keep following God? You will keep following God if you're one of his people. You think, well, how do I know if I'm one of his people? Everything changes. Your life's born again in front of you. But I don't know if I am born again. Then you need to come back to him and say, God, I need to be born again. I need you to make me alive. I need your strength in me, not me trying to look like a Christian. But this is why, if you can understand this unbreakable chain that you can then look at the verse just before it and say, oh yeah, all things do work together for good. If God's got everything set out, the big picture, then the little things that seem so difficult to me right now fit into a tapestry. We see the tapestry from the back and it's all loose ends. When you turn it over and see the tapestry from God's side, you think, wow, God's story The life of me in the picture of God's story. How wonderful, how beautiful. I didn't didn't think that loose M was going to look so beautiful when I saw it from God's perspective. So all things do work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Then I said we'd look quickly at Paul's checklist. Now, is this an Anglican building? No, something like an Anglican building. Uh, Not anti-Anglican, Charlotte's from an Anglican background. Her cousin's just become the Bishop of Blackburn. So we were watching Bishop uh, Blackburn Rovers the other week in the director's box. A lot of fun, that. So if you want to come to Blackburn Rovers, why would you? Uh, uh, We can get you a ticket. This is the interesting thing. At the end of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, I think he's saying, this is my checklist for what you need to really enjoy God. 
Well, what does he say? In uh, the last verse, he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with you all. Uh, I've, in my NIV, crossed out the verbs uh, because in the Greek, there's no verb. So it's not may, and it's not meant to be that you're meant to, as Christians, get in a circle, hold hands and look at each other and nod and bob and go, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've done that, but I've been in Liverpool church leaders meetings where I've nodded and bobbed. And look, It's a great verse, but there's no may about it. May is uncertain. Everything about God's unbreakable chain is certain. And what Paul is saying here is, you Christian, you have the love of God. You Christian, you have the grace of Jesus. Christian, you have fellowship, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And then he finishes, with, again, no verb. There's no verb in the whole sentence. With you all. Who? Well, those who he knew, those who he predestined, those who he called, justified, glorified, the people of God. We actually have a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The love of God rather than the love of man, thinking it's all about us and all about our faith. It's not about us. It's all about him. We love him because he loved us. The grace of Jesus versus the rules of religion. See, Jesus doesn't love me more when I pray a bit and then hate me a little bit and begrudge me and go, I don't like him very much. He's not praying. Father, he's not praying very much down there at the moment. Jesus loves me perfectly. God is for me perfectly. Why? I'm wearing righteous robes. I'm hidden in Christ. It's as though God the Father is looking at Jesus when he looks at me. And I know I'm nothing like Jesus, but when I'm clothed in Christ's righteousness, I'm exactly like Jesus. And I have been declared righteous as a gift forever. Now some of you may think, yeah, but what if I lose my righteousness? You can't lose it if you're in these groups. It's not like he says, and the group that he foreknew... Well, he lost a few in the predestination phase. And then he lost a few more as he called them. And then he lost a few more and they didn't all get justified. And by the time we get to glorification, it was only 10%. No, 100%. Those he knew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorifies. And so Paul here is saying, it's all about God. And your life of joy the joy of the Lord is your strength, can only come by your relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so Paul is saying a Trinitarian statement here. You, Christian, have the privilege in Christ of knowing the Father and his love for you. The Son and his abundance of grace that's pouring out on you. I don't feel very blessed. You are very blessed if you're a Christian. And the fellowship of the Spirit with you all. Yeah, I don't feel the Spirit very often. You don't have to. He's with you. You can ask for more. You can keep saying, Lord, I want to lean on you and your strength rather than my flesh, which is pretty much the opposite of relying on the Holy Spirit. Because it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit, says the Lord. So enjoying God, Paul sums it up for the Corinthians. Three little words, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then you may say, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. 
So James tells us a little bit more. If you've got your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. And in James chapter 1, he makes an outrageous statement. But if you don't understand the order of salvation and your relationship in God, secure with the Father, knowing the blessings of Jesus on you and the presence of the Spirit with you, You probably won't grasp this, but look what he says in James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What a ridiculous statement. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because I'm in the book of life. I'm in the hands of God. No one can snatch me out. God's weaving a beautiful tapestry, even if it seems ugly from my perspective. Yeah, but I I don't get it. I really, I don't trust God anymore. You need wisdom. You see, although we like the verse a bit later on in verse 5, where it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives wisdom. And you'll be taught, well, as a Christian, there's a promise from God that you can receive wisdom. Yeah, well, there is. That's the broad application. But the specific reason you need to cry out to God for wisdom is because when trials come, our immediate reaction isn't to go, oh, praise God, another trial. Because we look at it from our perspective. So what do you do when you go through a trial? You say, Lord, I don't know why or what you're doing, but I'm looking to you. and I'm yours. This trial, Lord, is still under your sovereign hand. I know you don't send evil on me. I know you love me. But I know somehow you want me to learn to count this pure joy, and it's killing me right now. Lord, give me wisdom to count this trial pure joy. Now, for most of us as Christians, we go through something and a few years later we look back and go, you know, I wouldn't change that now. When I went through it, that was terrible. But looking back, I've learned so much. I'm so changed because of going through that. Now that's good. If you learn the lesson afterwards, that's good. It's even better if you learn the lesson during. Because actually during is when you really need to trust God. During is when you really need to worship him. We were looking at Abraham this morning, offering up Isaac. And what's beautiful is he goes up to Mount Moriah. It says, he took Isaac aside and he worshipped. You think, oh. Wow, the most outrageous thing ever asked of a human being to sacrifice his miracle son, Isaac. And he's worshipping on his journey. He's not procrastinating. He's obeying. He's not thinking, I'll worship really long so we don't go up the mountain. No, he, he just wants to worship. But I'm sure as he took Isaac aside, he's wiping tears out of his eyes. And, and I am sure that Isaac says, Dad, why are you crying? Oh, It's just something between me and the Lord, son. And then off they go up the mountain. It's in our hardest times that worship becomes even more beautiful. 
It's in our hardest times when we need the presence of God the most that often when we count it pure joy, the presence of God comes in. But we lack wisdom, but there's a promise. If you lack wisdom and you're not rejoicing in a trial, yeah, but my neighbor's a real pain. It's a trial. Are you, ask God for wisdom to rejoice in it. God changes us most through trials. Our character develops best through trials. Be under testing. At the end of the whole passage with Abraham, he says, uh, God says, I was testing you, Abraham, but now I know. Now I know I can trust you. You'll do it. If you wouldn't withhold your own son, it's pointing forward to Jesus. God the Father didn't withhold his own son. Abraham's just a type of Oh, so Isaac's a type of Christ in that story. Pointing us forward to one who would actually slay his one and only son. Because God never intended Isaac to be killed. Abraham thought he, he was going through with it. For Abraham, he was going to kill his son. Stop! Abraham! Abraham! Oh, whoa! Thank goodness. I, that was the 11th hour. And Abraham doesn't bring down the knife, but God the Father does bring down his full anger on Jesus. Why? So that this group of people could be saved forever and safe forever in the hands of the Almighty God. So it's all about joy in God. Now, church planting can knock the joy out of you pretty easily because you will look around and think, like today, for example, I was putting a lot of chairs away today in Liverpool. I thought, oh, where's everyone else? Well, they're all in the Wirral, of course, with our student groups. So, uh, it needs us all to get stuck in, and it needs us all to be looking out for visitors. It needs us all to think, right, actually, I'll do the chairs, because he seems to be talking to visitors. Another week, it might be you talking to visitors, but... There is enough amongst us to take care of all the needs if we work together. And there's, there's a joy in starting a church. There's a team developing that's really quite exciting. We've been doing church planning now for a long time and there are so many highs and lows. The only way you're going to make it is looking to God, trusting God, rejoicing in Him because our side of the tapestry just looks a bit messy, but it isn't. It's all weaving together for his glory. Shall we stand, Keith, back to you. Is it on? Yeah, oh, it is on, sorry. <laughs> I'm back on, cool. Thanks, Graham, for that, it's great. Guys, we just stand, we're just going to pray. Just want to encourage you if if you feel particularly um, you just want to come and chat to someone. One of the things our passion in this church is for people to meet Jesus. It is that simple, and uh, you know just to go on on a, a journey on a on a just an amazing time with him. And if you want to come and talk to myself or Graham or some of the other guys about that, if you have any questions, if you perhaps Graham said something you didn't quite agree with or didn't quite like, do, do, come, and, do come and chat about it. it we're quite, quite happy to, to talk things through, as we say, every week. But let's just, let's just pray. Father, just want to thank you as we stand here. Just acknowledge your presence. Jesus, just acknowledge the fact that you are God. That without you, Lord, we, 
we are hopeless, but in you, Lord, we have true hope and true joy, despite circumstances, despite the challenges that life throws that. And Lord, we just pray, God, just give us the strength to walk faithfully before you. Father, send your spirit and and just fill us, we pray. Once again, Lord, equip us for this week. Equip us as we go out, Lord, as we just do mission, Lord, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our community, Lord Jesus, I pray. And just, Lord, just go with us and go before us. We ask that in your precious name. Amen. Amen.